This is bottom of the bill. How many ideas do you have in your phone right now or like just incomplete songs just because you couldn't figure out the right words to put over them? Hundreds, maybe yeah. maybe th- close to a thousand. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of stuff gets left on the table. Nothing's crap. It's just that it's, you know, you throw stuff at the wall and you see what sticks. And for me, I know pretty well right away if something has potential for a song. Like it just feels feels right. We live in a very singles heavy era right now. Right. People don't have attention span. You know, it's like, how can we get to that chorus in the first 18 seconds? <laughs> right, I mean? right. The music I make, you know, wouldn't be authentic or genuine if I just try to follow what, whatever the trend is. I make music first and foremost for myself. And then if people like it, great. <laughs> We live in this age of the internet where it's never been easier to network. So a lot of us have like internet friends who we've never actually met. I'm old school, so I think most of my contacts and community and friends, they've all come from personal in real life experience and hanging and being like, I dig you, you dig me, we're friends. And I like the music you make, let's collaborate. Just coming from an organic, real way, I think that's where the substance is. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Bottom of the Bill. We have a fantastic guest for you today. But before we get into all that, we're going to do our weekly check-in. So how are you doing, Chris? Doing great. What's been going on? It's been a chill week um, after the hustle and bustle of last week's filming, recording, and all that. Um, it's been a little slow-paced, which is great. The uh, Alchematic... Um, single is out September 22nd. Um, been just getting some cool promo and BTS stuff built up for that, which usually feels like work, but this has been kind of fun going through some of the, some of the captures from, uh, old shows and from the video shoot and all that kind of putting together some just cool little, little things has been fun. Um, outside of that, you've been telling Fun stories from gigs recently. Yeah. And I had a great one this last weekend. Let's hear it. So Cluster played in San Augustine at Dog Rose. Mm -hmm. And the morning of the gig, our ivory tickler, Alex Sears, caught a bug and called out. And so we said, we'll just run it as a four-piece. You know, no need to try and get a sub that's going to eat it. Uh, Oh, it's five minutes oh well uh <laughs> before the gig <laughs> yeah um before the gig so no problem so we'll go run it as is so we get down there we're setting up and sorry if you know him sorry if you're friends with him but you need to know uh this absolute wook degenerate shows up Uh-oh. and uh he's hanging around and like he kind of rubs enough brain cells together to go oh there's not a keyboard being set up this is great. So he calls his friend and says, Hey, bring your keyboard rig and come down here. There's this band playing uh, and they don't have a keyboard player. What the fuck? So he, (laughs) yeah. So he then walks up to us. Like we're setting up. He goes, Hey, uh, my buddy plays keyboard and he's real good. I told him to come out and sit in and we're like, Nah, you know, we're good. Like we, we have a keyboard player, but he's out sick. So we're, we're going to run our set list and we're going to run this. And that goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he knows all the tunes you guys know. And he's, he's played an X band before. And we're like, 
okay, I've heard of that band and I know he's not in it anymore. So like, what's up with that? Oh, and so we're like, we're like, we don't know this cat by name. So, uh, you know, that's not happening. And all the while, uh, Ivan Skeen shows up, great guitar player from Nightcrawler and just awesome player on the scene. We're like, my like, dog, you know, Ivan, that cat's sitting in. <laughs> He's cool. And he walked in, didn't bring a guitar, didn't bring anything. He's just like, yeah, I live in St. Aug. I'm just chilling. I had a night off. I'm going to hang out. So we're like, that's how you do it. So we go and go. We're all set. We're five minutes before we play. This wolf comes back up and goes, you guys stoked to jam with my buddy? We're like, dude, we're trying to get into a headspace to play the gig. Like, You got to back off. So we shake him. We play the first set. His buddy with the keyboard walks into the gig. Um, and so we get off stage. That dude beat the Wook beelines to me and goes, Hey man, you gotta meet so and so, my buddy right here, and this and that. And I talked to his buddy, and like his buddy is relatively respectful. Like he's green. Like he's like, Hey man, I really like what y'all are doing. I think you guys sound great. I would love to jam if that's something you guys are into, but like I'm also just like loving watching you guys and this and that. I'm like, all right, he's eager to play, but he's not being a just obnoxious about this like he's eager that's cool i can respect that mm -hmm. and then his buddy sees us talking he goes okay good y'all are working it out sweet perfect awesome i uh, hate this guy bro i legit hate this guy i do not get angry much so then we're like all right we're screw this guy we walk outside he follows us outside and corners corn dog and corn like and instead of being like a two three second conversation they're over there for like 10 minutes and it ends with, I hear corn dog yelling out of the side of my ear at this guy. And then after the yelling, both of them leave the venue, the audacity to call someone and invite them on someone else's gig. When you don't know the band, maybe you know of a fan or two of the band. That's why you're there to call someone and say, bring your keys rig and come sit in without clearing it of the band, without talking to any is wild. And you got, 50 no's from us yeah. over the course of the night. I have ne I've never seen anything like that. So you guys didn't give him any indication that it was okay for him to do that? None. It's just so wild to me that like somebody could could walk like and like not even just call their friend but walk up to you and then tell you, "By the way, I have someone who's coming to play with you. Don't worry. I got it worked out." Like somebody that you don't even know like that I hate this guy. Oh, he was. Do I know him? No. Well, maybe he's he's a Swanee Wook. Uh, so he looks like the rest of them. Smells like the rest of them. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but the again, just he needs to be humbled. I don't know if he was on drugs. I don't know what the deal was. But um, the etiquette on that is so far removed from anything that is acceptable. I just can't like. Yeah, dude, I can't fathom that. I would have. I don't even know how I would have. I, I, I bro, would, I was furious. I, I'm chill. I like hanging out. I'm good on gigs. I was like, dude, let this guy come over one more time. And Corn Dog's like, uh, he was the same way. Like we're both, you know, we just like having a good time on the gig, hanging out, and both of us are just like, who is this? Like, what is going on right now? It felt like an alternate dimension. And like, you're vouching for this cat that no one like. It's me, Sean, Shane, and Corn Dog. If between the four of us, we haven't heard of you. I'm not saying That's we're weird. the kings, you know, but like, come on, we no, know some cats. It's like, weird if 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 you haven't heard of that, those four people, like, it, it, 
like yeah there's no if 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 there's a like there's not a name that one of you haven't heard of in this town not even working not even like oh i know that cat he's not sweet we can't you know what i mean you're not even on the radar let alone on any position on the pole like yeah I know all your tunes. Really, you know, skin it back. Don't want you to know more. You know, our original tune that did we he, wrote. Did he walk in with like a Casio keyboard? Or he something? didn't bring his rig inside, okay, but I saw him walk in beeline to the homeboy. And then the two of them are just beady eyes on us. Just like oh, feed me scraps. So it uncomfortable. Poor awesome. guy, though. I feel bad. It's not even his fault. Like he just like I agree. His friend just did that to him. I agree. His friend and literally his friend set him up for failure because yeah. he was a nice enough guy. He was friendly. He's eager to play. Like I felt, I got the vibe that he's like between bands. He's in the jam band world. You know, he wants to link with more jam bands and he's in St. Aug. There's not a huge scene. And, you know, he kind of like heard there was a jam band. He wanted to shoot a shot kind of thing. His friend needs to be kneecapped. Yeah. <laughs> it's just his friend is the worst person ever. And I hope you see this. I hope you've sobered up. Don't ever do that on a gig (laughs) again don't do it yeah that sucks man but uh uh, yeah i had fun this weekend (laughs) Uh, the gig was great uh we missed alex but we had fun doing the cluster thing with just two guitars and we played really well um and it was fun cool Uh, there's some content you can go find on my page from me breaking a string and tripping over my own shoelaces into the dirt go find that it's (laughs) real fun (laughs) It was that on Instagram? Yeah, I took I took a page out of your book and like, what goes through my head when I solo? And I just made a, what goes through my head when I break a string? Oh, nice. And uh, <laughs> graceful. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Real graceful. Oh, um, man. What about you? Um, I didn't have a very uh, lively weekend of gigs. I played, I had like, I played my ABBQ gig, which they just... Uh, not to like again it's not like a, i'm not like bashing anybody like they just football season comes in and they cancel things so yep. you know uh it's my th- my residency thursday gig that lasted a month <laughs> is gone uh, oh the whole thing's gone un- until further notice yeah uh through <sighs> football season um and then uh so that's like i mean dude between them and and monkeys that's that's i mean i lost dozens of of I mean, well, more than that, I probably lost like 30, 40 gigs the rest of the year on that alone. So it is what it is, dude. You know, it's part of the business. Um, But I knew that was coming. They told me, I thought I had till the end of September, but it was August, I guess. So whatever, it is what it is. Great. Um, But I I do like ABBQ. They've always treated me well over there. It's not like a thing against them. It just is what it is. The culture we live in in the South, we like sports a lot. Yeah. And And arts can eat rocks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Unless it's Leonard Skinner. Unless it's Skinner, yeah. and if you go and play at ABBQ, you call them. <laughs> you, call, you call. We got free barbecue for y'all, Skinner. You come out here. We'll turn off the game, or at least we'll mute it. <laughs> at least, yeah. Um, so there was that. I played with Dustin on Saturday. Nice. It's been a while, right? Yeah, it's been a minute, and I walked in, and there was a whole different band than what I remember. So <laughs> cool. It was cool though. Who, uh, was, uh, who was on the gig? Any anyone? Uh, yeah, this dude Justin was playing bass, who I've never met before. But I asked who he played with and he played with he's played with bz and a bunch of other people i was surprised uh, okay. I, didn't, I didn't know him but he was very good that was fun uh then his friend cj um who's a drummer that plays in a couple bands with him or, or has over the years 
And I thought he did a pretty good job for honestly, like not, he's not a gigging guy. Like he's, he's done like strictly like original bands and not had to learn covers and stuff like that. But I mean, you know, it's funny, like when you play with people like that, they don't have like the, the cover, like kind of working musician background. Um, a lot of the times if they, if they're playing tunes that, that they haven't been a part of writing, there's like weird things, like especially like not knowing genres or like tempo fluctuations and yeah. just not being, not always being there, but he didn't have any of that stuff. He played pretty well. So that was cool. Um, he was super professional. He's done a lot of DJing gigs. So like he had a, a, a lively personality back there. Okay. So it was cool. Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, that was pretty much it, but I did, uh, there's this, uh, I was going through some of our stuff on the bottom of the bill email, like the, we get those digital music, mm-hmm. uh, updates or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're doing another, another fire festival, a fire yeah, festival part two, two. 2.0. It's already sold out. Oh dear. <laughs> I can't like, yeah. and it's the same promoter. We don't learn, do we? It's the same promoter. I'm pretty sure. I, I'm, of course it is. I just can't even like. <laughs> I don't. Of I feel. I feel is. like people, people are just buying tickets to to experience a train wreck. Oh, I was gonna say the same thing. They're only. They know the reputation and they want their time in the sun on this next cluster. This is the fucking. <laughs> nice. <laughs> this is the, the the the. I feel like this is like kind of the landscape that we're living in now with this troll culture that's been created yeah. where it's like not, I'm not to go off on a huge rant here about the, the state of social media and the type of content that's being produced. But we, we glamorize people like, you know, the Paul fan, like Logan, Paul, Jake, Paul, which, you know, whatever they do, they, they do what they do and they're good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, a lot of these podcasts, uh, like you get like the full send podcast and you get like this little ecosystem of people that are like, hardcore trolls yeah. yeah and then like it works so well that people want to like go and they want to be a part of the troll mm-hmm. to get the clout that comes with it and i feel like the fire festival is kind of like an extension of this idea where like okay we like it was a miserable failure yeah and then we make two different documentaries on it on different on some of the biggest platforms out there that both go wildly well right mm-hmm. they're both wildly successful more so than the festival a hundred percent and then what do we do we capitalize on that by doing another festival and then people it's almost like the, the doing the festival is a troll in itself again i mean once certainly it is yeah. and then to have it sell out is like this next level troll thing that people just want to experience it so, so they can say that they were there yeah and and be like this documentary that they talked about or that they did i was there for that Yep. And that's all it is. Yep. That's all I can think of. Now, the next the the third tier troll is the festival goes completely well without a hitch <laughs> yeah. and there's no, it's lovely and everything works just as planned. It's just I, that would be hilarious. <laughs> what artist is going to sign on to that? I'm going to see if they even have a lineup for oh, it. Oh, I guarantee they're not dropping any lineup and like they won't drop a lineup if it's sold out. Those people are showing up and they're going to get what they get. There's there's not going to be a public lineup. I'm putting money on it. You don't think there's going to be a public lineup? Not if it's already sold out. The whole point of putting out a lineup is to sell tickets. Yeah. <laughs> it's already sold out. Yeah, you're right. Why would they drop a lineup? It, 
Fire Two is a go goal is a go according to the original events founder Billy McFarland. Original Fire Festival is a disaster. McFarland served several years in prison after. It doesn't have a finalized date or lineup, but it's already selling. It's just like I can't. <laughs> this is so. This is the world we live in. It's literally idiocracy. Yep. Uh, anyways, I'll stick to ABBQ. Uh, um, let's see where uh, I'm going to be playing. I actually have this entire week off by the time this airs. I mean, I'll be wow. working as of right now. This is Wednesday. I've got a full calendar, but like when this airs on Tuesday, I've got this. In, I think I'm doing the Ink Factory on Sunday, uh, Sunday. If anybody wants to come check it out. Yeah, I guess this will already be out. So I guess we're looking at next week. Yeah. Um, let's see what next week looks like. Um, actually. Uh, next week's pretty good. Um, pretty awesome, actually. Uh, the Jeremy King's new band, Snake Pile, is at Southern Grill. Mm. Um, and we're playing like that band is cool. We've whipped up a lot. It's like we're doing like Rocking Horse by the Allman Brothers, we're doing uh, uh, Why I Am Dave Matthews. Like, we've got a whole batch of tunes in there. Yeah. Um, Blind, Cripple, and Crazy. Like, some oh, I trucks. love that song. So, like, we're doing we're doing some tunes that we just don't play with any other bands. So, Southern Grill next Thursday. Um, then I'm at FinFest with Kalani on Friday, I think at 5.30 to 6.30. We got a full hour set of all her originals. She's got a horn section coming. So, like, that's going to be a big, big production. Um, then Saturday, the Madison Hughes band picked up a gig at the local to get ready for our underbelly show on the 17th. So mm. we're going to be out at underbelly or out at the local running all of our tunes. Um, sh- we're going to run the set pretty much. Um, but then um, Jessica, Millie, Ramos, and I are pretty much going to do like front the band the rest of the night. So, like, it'll be a hodgepodge of all your favorite peeps. When, playing uh, their when favorite songs the 16th so saturday and then um, 17th you're at underbelly and then 17th we're at underbelly um after the chiefs jags game getting that set tight so we just had rehearsal yesterday we were working on all our transitions um that's i just again that is such a cool project everyone's like super into the collaborative creative process of like making a set flow we try we like it was just so cool to be like trying i to spit something out okay let's try adding these hits and like you know, we're just kind of making up hits on the fly. We're making up transitions on the fly. We're trying stuff, see what works, what doesn't work. Is this too busy? Is this clean? We're giving her vocal direction, like when to like, okay, you jump over here if we do this lick. Um, and she's been so receptive to all of that, um, you know, because she's never played with a band before. And she just wants it to, to, to crush. And the band is doing well to uh, make that happen. So. That's going to be a really cool show. Uh, our friend Katie O is opening up uh, the gig. She sang with the Cash Band back back in the day, so old friend there is uh, is going to be doing that. So fun week of gigs. Hell yeah! And then Monday, I hope I'm off. And uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, fuck yeah, man! Busy, busy week. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so I I'll probably come by and check out something. I'm sure because yeah. I got all weekend off, so I'll be doing something. Yeah, come check out the Ma- one of the Madison Hughes gigs. Yeah, um, that'll be cool. And uh, Finfest is going to be popping too. Yeah, I'm th- I'm, th- I'm definitely going to go try and check that out too. Nice. Um, all right, guys. Well, this week we have Ariel Posen. This was an honor to have him on. Um, over the uh, lockdowns, I did a collaboration of a Corey Wong tune and had the 
with a few different people here in town and had the luxury of learning some of his slide parts in that tune. And it was cool. And then, um, you know, started listening to his music after that and then saw that he's been releasing music. So we reached down to this podcast and I've been listening to this album, uh, feel this way too. It's so good. I mean, it's like, like a hipper version of continuum, I guess. Yeah. A lot of his music is kind of like that. I feel like, which is singer songwriter, but like also like got like cool R and B flares to it. And, and like nice tones. Like he, he kind of hits like this grungy fuzz tone a lot. Um, you kind of like modern tones on it as well. I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. They paid close attention to just a sonic, uh, landscape I think on this as well as the arrangements are great great lyrics his vocals are phenomenal I mean just across the board it's so good and I thought that this interview was just we got to get into the weeds on on a lot of this stuff which I think is super cool um, so I hope you guys enjoy the episode as much as we did um, like share subscribe let everyone know what we're doing here we've got plenty of guests like this coming your way um, don't forget that we have new merchandise coming out. Uh, we've been working on some new concepts and hopefully here soon I'll be wearing a shirt with some new stuff that you guys are going to, uh, hopefully enjoy. So on that note, without further ado, Ariel Posen. And should we give a little disclaimer on video? Oh yes. Yes. The, uh, uh the last 10 minutes Jay was able to salvage he Most was? of it, yeah. The last ten minutes, there's no video from me. My camera's out. Um, but if you're listening to this on Spotify or whatever, then uh, it's not going to be an issue for you. If you're watching on YouTube, the last ten minutes, I will not have any visual on. I think your camera's still on. Yeah, mine is not. Uh, but the rest of the episode's good. Beautiful. Good work, Jay. Yeah, Props, bro. Our boy crushes it down, down yes, south. He, so. Yes, he does. Good work, bud. Um, all right, guys. Well, Ariel Posen, enjoy. This is Bottom of the Bill. Uh, Ariel, I'm a huge fan, man. Uh, I discovered you back in... I don't know. It was a few years ago now. I did a, uh, um, a Corey Wong cover it was a collaboration that i did during covid just to kind of keep myself from going crazy <laughs> and um it was the uh, the simon f15 cover and um we the one that i i learned was the live one that you guys did at that at that studio and um i learned like all of your licks on slide and everything and did my best to interpret them i uh, did not do it justice but um it's just uh, it's kind of interesting to be sitting here talking to you now um, after having, you know, kind of studied your work for a while. So this is very cool for me. And I know for Chris oh, too. I'm, yeah. I'm sure it sounded great. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I hope so. Anyways, um, uh, I've also been listening to the new record and, uh, I'm, I love it, man. It's so, it's so, um, eclectic. There's so much happening here and I really want to dive in to all this. Yeah it's kind of different than what you've done in the past. I feel like, do you, was that something that you did on purpose or, uh, you know, where are you coming from with this record? Um, I don't know. Every record feels like it's a, it's a new chapter and I'm not intentionally trying to go a different direction. I think every album of mine is cohesive and is me and, and sounds like me, but it just, 
you can't help it. But when you live life, and especially as a musician, you're constantly listening to music, you're not listening to music, you get inspired and you get uninspired by certain things. And those kind of come out in your music. And, you know, I just, it just so happened this record, I had more time than usual to write a record. I wasn't on the road. And if anyone listening that, that tours, um, that understands how difficult it is to write on the road, different for everybody, I struggle. I just, there's so much going on. The last thing I want to do is write because I just want to get through a tour successfully and, and you know, just make it happen. So, you know, it was, it was a time when we were all home and I wrote 30 songs and chose the 10 best that I thought were the strongest of those. And you know what? Is it different? Maybe. Do I think it's different? No. But that's just how it goes. You know, so yeah, some production things, I guess, were different. And I definitely experiments, experimented with some, some different sounds and soundscapes and tried to, you know, I, I think I have themes of my own and, and go-tos on songs that I've written in the past and on my other albums that I tend to just repeat myself a lot. So I intentionally tried to not do that. I tried to evolve, which I think we all do as musicians. If you, you know, you care about the art, you're always trying not to one up the last thing you did. You always want to put it the best thing out possible that you can, but just, yeah, not different, but just evolved is the way I would describe it. Yeah, totally. That's a good way to put it for sure. Um, there's, uh, um, I'm curious about kind of this discovery of, of becoming like, like, okay, so you're, I'm just trying to figure out like a way to frame this because you're like a phenomenal guitar player as well as you are a writer. And like, it's something that I, that I struggle with personally is, you know, wanting to constantly be getting better as a guitar player and wanting to play this kind of support role, but then also having this affinity for writing and wanting to produce in my own respect um, and putting myself out there as an artist. So how do you, have you kind of grappled with that? What made you want to take the leap from becoming like a guitar player to, you know, like pursuing this career as an artist? Well, I, I started, okay, so I started kind of just playing gigs when I was 14 years old. The first time I was given, you know, 30 or 50 bucks, and I was like, whoa, this can be a job. Right. I was pretty young already and had some experience playing in some up groups and, and doing some gigs. And once I graduated high school and, you know, was of legal age to play in bars instead of just lying about my age and playing in bars and sneaking into bars and playing underage. Uh, I was just, I, you know, I put a band together. I, I had a trio and this is probably going to sound like it's foreshadowing, but I fronted a trio. It was all covers <laughs> that I like to sing. And we, I booked us as many gigs as possible playing in clubs and bars and shitholes. And by doing that, uh, I think I just developed my, mm, well, I think it's ever on, like never ends the development. It keeps going, but it really gave me a taste for fronting a band, um, performing, singing and playing. 
talking to a crowd, even if there was two people there not listening. But uh, yeah, it's just kind of how I started, to be honest. That's how I cut my teeth. I really got into the music industry. And by that, I even just mean my local music scene by booking my own gigs with my band, my trio. And, you know, we started playing some original music, too. And I would write a song. I'd bring it to the guys. We'd record it. We'd play it. And had a really lovely time with that and enjoyed that. But once the gigs started happening more and more, you know, people would come to the shows and be like, hey, band is so-so, whatever. But uh, we need a guitar player for this artist that has a record label showcase and we're going to do two months of rehearsals weekly rehearsal shows at this club and then we have a couple of showcases one in toronto and then one in you know stuff like that and then it just so on and so forth started this sideman free freelance hired gun career where i kind of just pushed away this band not that it was ever intent intended to be like a full-time thing or touring with this band but me booking my own shows as a trio, uh, fronting, I just kind of put that aside. And I was just so busy playing in other people's bands, playing for artists, going on tour, doing sessions. And um, fast forward, I guess, 11 or 12 years after that started, I was living in Ireland and I, I was playing in a band that was on hiatus. I was still doing session stuff, but... We moved there for uh, my wife's uh, work, and I didn't know anybody, so I was like, okay, I need to start again here. I just want to work. I want to play music. That's what I do. I don't, I'm not going to get a job making burritos or anything. So <laughs> I, you know, luckily, through some people, I met kind of everybody right away, had a chance to jam with everybody, and met basically the top people where I was living in Cork, Ireland. And I just went, you know what? I need some gigs. How did I get gigs when I first started? Oh, yeah, I just booked my own. So I literally did that, put together a trio again, picked some songs. It was like the exact same uh, <laughs> situation. But at this point, I had a little bit of a profile on the Internet. You know, it was a different time. My name was out there, and that really helped things on social media and stuff. And, yeah, word got out. I was doing a solo thing started playing shows i immediately got a tour i was toured in the in the uk and yeah and it just all went from there uh record, recorded my record etc and i started writing when i started this these gigs again it just felt natural and the rest is history yeah. so yeah it wasn't even planned it just naturally happened came full circle in a way interesting you did you ever feel like you were kind of wrestling internally with wanting to be like you know an artist in that way or were you just kind of going with the flow and it's like i'm just gonna you know i don't mind playing guitar and being on the road and that kind of thing i had never had an issue with just play being a guitar player i never had the hunger to do my own thing a lot of people would ask me for years like when are you doing your own solo thing and i was like i don't know that i am i'm like I'm pretty busy i I'm happy with what I do and it's all good. And then once I started doing it, it wasn't that I had this hunger. I realized just for my soul and, and deep inside it, it just felt right. And it was really nice. And I enjoyed that feeling, not of having spotlight or being at the front of the stage, the guy with the microphone. It was just nice to like fully be me 
on stage musically. So, it, you know, I didn't feel like I needed it, but once I started, I realized that I did need it. It was an important element. Yeah, man, that's a... Uh... I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Cause it's like most people chase that thing and you're just like, ah, I think I'm just gonna, you know, <laughs> see what happens and you fall into it. Now it looks like you're starting to see some real success, which is very cool. And I love the writing too. It's very, um, I don't know if you're, if how you, you're going to take this, but to me, it'd be a huge compliment. It's kind of like John Mayer esque, especially like Circa continuum. Uh, do you, do you ever get that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, no, that's that's a that's a gigantic uh, compliment. Uh, I'm not going for that. I'm just writing the way I write, going with the sounds and song and chords and lyrics that I'm hearing or writing, or when I write with other people, what we're all hearing collectively. There's no intention of. Not that you said I'm like replicating it, but it reminds you of it. Uh, I'll take it. Yeah fucking awesome record so thanks if that's just you know naturally what's coming out of you and that's that's awesome all right guys this episode's brought to you by best buds cbd store if you're like me maybe thc isn't always the right high for you or maybe the legal status of thc has you a bit hesitant to indulge so at best buds cbd store they have an array of cbd and delta 8 thc products these guys truly care about their service so everything is meticulously sourced and prepared to deliver a top-notch product and experience if you head to their website you'll find all kinds of educational information regarding Delta THC and CBD. Uh, not to mention if you use promo code BOTBPOD, that's B-O-T-B-POD, you'll save 10% on your order. This is not a one-time deal. If you use promo code BOTBPOD, every time you place an order with Best Buds, it will give you 10% off. That's in perpetuity forever. So head over to bestbudscbdstore.com and start saving on all of your CBD and Delta A products. Enjoy, guys. I'm curious because you talked about coming back from the road and then writing, you know, 30 songs and picking 10 of the ones that really resonated with you guys. So did you, do you sit down and like actively decide I'm going to write these tunes or is it, you know, more just you're, you're getting inspired and then you, it just hits you or is it a little bit of both? Like what's that process? It's a little bit of both. Uh, every time I write, I, either I'm messing around with something and it just turns into something and I go, ah, I'm going to voice memo this and then I'll remember it and I'll come back to it later and I'll just write, or right in the moment, I'll just write something or if I book a writing session with other people. Okay. And, and then it's like, I have to write from 11 to one today. It's happening. Mm. Uh, and again, I was just not on the road. None of us were doing anything. It was a certain time you probably remember yeah <laughs> it was a little different in florida i know that yeah <laughs> uh here in canada it was uh yeah we had a lot of time to just write and be consistent with it and for me writing is like going to the gym where you go on that monday and then you don't go again for a week not only is it hard to peel yourself out of bed to go there but when you do get there everything is even harder than it was a week ago <laughs> right so like the more consistent you are with it the easier it gets words string together easier music like the music part always comes easier to me i can sit there all day and come up with chord progressions and stuff but i think most people can and that comes fairly easy to them but words just start to fall out of me a lot easier when i do it regularly and consistently right and that was the time i was in i was just a very consistent 
phase for writing, which helped. Yeah, no, that's that's huge, man. I, that's always the hardest part for me is I get very discouraged when um, it comes down to writing lyrics because, I mean, I, I think that I do a good job when I decide that this is the final product, but it's getting to that final point where it's like I've got these progressions and these riffs and I've got an arrangement down and I'm right. just not sold on what I've written lyrically. And that's the part that always makes me move on and just not finish writing a song. Um, I'm how many, how many ideas do you have in your phone right now? Or like just incomplete songs just because you couldn't figure out the right words to put over them. <laughs> Hundreds, maybe, yeah. maybe th close to a thousand, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of stuff gets left on the table. A lot of stuff is nothing's crap. It's just that it's, you know, you throw stuff at the wall and you see what sticks. And for me, I know pretty well right away if something has potential for a song. Like, it just feels feels right. It, it, it's very clear to me. Uh, other ideas might just feel more like a reach sometimes. And it's like, I don't think this has any, you know, any backbone here. This is just a... This is just guitar. This is just an idea. Right. Uh, and the same has gone for lyrics. I've had lyrics where I've just sung them into my phone or even said them. So I just didn't, like, I could have just typed them out and just, I wake up and I, from like sleeping and I think I have an idea. And I, I've done this a couple times where I know a lot of people talk about if you get an idea in your sleep, like wake up immediately and try to write it. It's very hard to do. It's easier said than done. But the couple of times I have tried that, tried it. I either say the, the lyrics really quietly here, or I just like whistle the melody and I forget about it and I come back a few hours later and it's the worst thing I've ever <laughs> come up with, you know? Yeah. <laughs> there can be something about the uh, the sleep state that either produces something yeah. genius or just the worst thing because you're, you're, I guess your uh, ability to decipher the, between the two is not yeah. fully there. <laughs> well, in the moment, in the dream state, it feels like or seems like absolute brilliance. Right. You're like, this might be the greatest idea I've ever came up with. I better wake up <laughs> and remember this. But that's what dreams do. We're just kind of <laughs> anything can be anything. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so how did how were you able to... Uh, make the choice on on ten tunes out of the thirty that you had. Um, was this a decision that comes down just to you, or are you kind of bouncing it off the guys that you're working with and producers and whoever else is involved in your in your enterprise there? Yeah, typically I I definitely lean on uh, my co-producer for that stuff. Since this was different than usual, like I'll tell I'll tell you this: my first record, how long? I had seven songs, so I recorded seven songs and three little instrumental pieces to fill it out. So it was 10 tracks. Right. My second record, I had 20 songs and we recorded 12 of them. I think we could have done 10. I don't know why I did 12. Um, but when we did that, I definitely asked my, uh, my producer, I was like, hey, what are your favorites? What do you think the strongest ones are? And I told him what I think mine were, and, and we, we kind of lined up on the same ones. And whenever I produce records, I do the same thing. I say, give me everything you got. Like, at the end of the day, it's the artist's choice. But I'll tell you what I think are the strongest ones. And then, yeah, for this one, there was 30 songs, like I said. I really liked a lot of them. In fact, there's so many that I still really like and might use. It was just for the vision 
and story and sonic umbrella of this record, these 10 songs really were cohesive together. There was five other songs of that 30 that I really loved as well, but I just didn't see them fitting with the 10 that I put out, or the 10 for this record. So I actually put those five songs out a year ago, almost a year ago to the day, and I called it the Downtown EP. So Better's on the Way, Downtown, Always Saw Coming, uh, Be Enough, Say It Again. Those, those were all part of the 30. And I loved them so much, but I just didn't hear them with those 10. So I wanted to still have them exist in the world. And like a lot of people, you know, respond to Better's on the Way and uh, Be Enough. We, pl- we play those songs live all the time, but I just wanted to keep them separate. So that's why. And the other 15 that no one has heard yet, there are still some that I think are great. And maybe I'll find some use for them down the road. Oh, but yeah. Nothing was like bad. It was just like, what's, what's the strongest? And when you have more to choose from, it's so much easier to see which ones are stronger. Yeah, totally. And I like, I like the way that, you know, you, you talked about, you know, because it, it, how, you, how you try to make it fit a vision, right? Because the idea of writing a record is not just about like picking songs and putting them out. It's like there's a, especially what it seems like with this record is that it, there was, um, there was like when I'm listening to it, there's a cohesiveness across the board. Like this is certainly a more traditional approach um, in the sense where it's a full listening experience. You want to listen from the first song to the last song. So, um, was it kind of like you were thinking about that uh, when you were, you know, picking these 10 songs Like you were really trying to kind of create this full listening experience? I'm always trying to make that listening experience. I'm kind of old school where I, I come from that upbringing of listening to records in full. My dad worked at CBC, which is like national radio in Canada. And whenever I had days off from school and we'd go to work with him I'd, I'd go to the library which is you know this is in the 90s and it'd be like all oh, every CD that's out every album that's out that you know I'm a kid and I don't have any money to buy records I'd pick every album that I loved and just listen to them front to back look through the liner notes that's just how I love listening to music we we live in a very singles heavy era right now right people don't have people don't have attention span spans and you know, it's like big impact with very little. How can we get people's attention? How can we get to that chorus in the first 18 seconds? <laughs> right, I mean? right. But the music I make, I you know, it wouldn't be authentic or genuine if I just try to follow what, whatever the trend is. I I make music first and foremost for myself. And then if people like it, great. <laughs> but... Yeah, it comes down to what I prefer and what I like, and I like listening experience. I like listening to a record front to back and feeling something from it. But also, you know, listen, pick any of those songs and listen to them on their own, and they still have impact. You know, and that's why we do singles, of course, but yeah, yeah, that listening experience. Yeah, no, totally. And that's that, that it was refreshing for me to hear because a lot of the times you just you're not getting that today. Um, that being said, you know, as uh, you know, when it comes to the marketing stuff, you always need to have you pick your, you're picking your singles and all the building hype and this and that. 
Um, how did you choose the singles that, that are currently out? Well, first, you want, I want to have a blend of upbeat and then, like, you know, typically when I'm rolling out singles for a record, I like to come out with something kind of energetic to set the tone. And my last record, I actually, my second single was something a bit more chill, kind of experimented a bit, but this was even more upbeat. This is a song. First single was Man You Raised. Second single was I Wish That We Never Met. And uh, last week we put out Didn't Say, which is kind of a medium tempo, kind of chill, more of a Jackson Brown, more chill thing. And I think it's nice to mix it up just to give a, a an overall uh, ebb and flow, peak and valley, just to the singles themselves. And there's one more single coming, but I don't know when this is coming up, but I uh, maybe won't give it away yet. But yeah. Uh, I so I like to think about that, and I also like to think about not giving too much away. I want to still save some some great songs for just that again that listening experience once it comes out. And I think there's some purposely uh, like it. It was almost a no brainer to make it a a single. Some some people on my team even suggested like to do these specific songs, and I was like, ah, you're so right, but. I just want to save them for when the album drops. Yeah, there's definitely something to that for sure. Um, I think you did a, a great job with um, Man You Raised being one of them because it's definitely, I mean, it's it's such a great song. Um, and I think it's like, it Thanks. gives them just enough to like, to, to like kind of sink their teeth in, but then also like right. leaves you wanting more for sure, you know? Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. That's the goal for sure. Yeah, man, I love that one, and uh, I'm so bad with names of tunes. What was the second one that you released? It was, I wish that we never met. Yes, that's an, that and like singing that hook too. It's like it's got like a great hook to it. You know, it's I think it's super relatable as well. I, I was really enjoying that one. And my favorite tune. Am I allowed to say the name of the song on on here? Are you cool with that? Oh, that's not released yet. When yeah. is this coming up? Uh, I'm pretty sure we're gonna do the week right before the album drops. Is what I was talking. I think it was okay. Josh. I was talking well, to. Yeah, we can talk yeah. about it. Um, there's just one song that I want to just just to keep it uh, simple. I won't even say the, the name of it, but no, you can. It's all good. Um, this is feel this way too. Um, I fucking love the drum sound you got on that one. <laughs> like it's uh, and like just how kind of more. It's not like keeping the groove per se. It's more just kind of playing with the space. And yeah. I'm curious about you know when you're making those decisions are, are again are these like your arrangement choices or are these like is this like a collaborative experience and furthermore how are, i want to talk about the exploration of sounds especially when as it relates to the drums in this song yeah uh first of all that's going to be the last single so oh it is great, <laughs> that, great that it resonated with you because love it it'll probably be out by the time uh this comes up which is great um feel this way too is a cool song. Uh, I co-wrote it with a friend of mine, Leith Ross, who's just absolutely exploding in the music scene and just unbelievable, amazing collaborator and artist. And I had this idea, this guitar idea, where it was da 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 da, da like that main kind of verse riff. Right. And I had a couple lyrics here or there, 
And we wrote the song, finished it, and I demoed it, and I didn't hear any drums at all. I actually heard it very stripped down, uh, very ethereal and spacey, but I didn't hear rhythm, like like any drums, so to speak. There's, there's rhythm, of course, but uh, once we narrowed down the songs, I felt very strongly about this one. I love what it talks about. It, it The song itself is just about, you know, I've moved around, I've moved uh, cities and country, I guess, a couple times in the past few years. And, uh, you know, on my last record, I wrote a song called I'm Gone, which talks about the feeling of moving to a new city and kind of having a blank slate and like have almost being invisible in the greatest way and not right. knowing anybody. And it's like, you're free. Totally. This song was more about, okay, now I've done that a couple times and you know, it's starting to feel a little isolating and I'm starting to feel kind of, dare we say lonely. And it's, it's, it's a call out to basically it's asking the questions, but it's almost like you're asking yourself, if, if anyone else feels this way as well, but it's really talking to yourself about this experience. So, yeah, it had cool meaning. I knew it was going to have a lot of cool soundscapes. And, and once we got into the studio, we, I played it. And uh, I, I originally just heard a kick drum, like a, just four on the floor. Go, go, go. And that turned into go, 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 just like super simple tom work and yeah we tried when we tried it in the studio jj who's amazing and it's really not his bag doing this kind of thing too which is funny he's just more of a meat and potatoes you know just lay it down this was a lot more just soundscapey and stuff like that i think he enjoyed i don't know just exploring and trying stuff out and we did it in we did it twice. So we did Tom's kick, like kit only, and then we overdubbed cymbals so that we could really milk those uh those swells and stuff. Like oh, that. So you it was did a over cool experience. You did overdub the cymbals. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I like that. That makes yeah. a lot of sense because I noticed that was one thing that I did notice was like just the resonance of them seemed to um kind of uh, I don't know the it lingered longer than what you normally expect, but in like the best way, there was like this kind of seamless blend between the symbols yeah. into like the harmonies that kind of started to come into play. And then it's like, and and the sound of the, uh, the drums themselves. Um, I mean, I mean this in the, in a great way because that's why it's, it was like unique. They almost sound kind of dead, you know, but like, yeah, Oh, totally. And, yeah, uh, mallets. Oh, that's why I thought. I, okay. I, I can't confirm this or not, but might have been some, maybe some towels on the heads to dampen everything. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, that's definitely intentional. I love, I love dead sounding. Yeah. <laughs> on guitar, on guitar too. I have a, I play a lot of guitars that have a rubber bridge, or I put some foam in just to like dampen it, and or and put flats on it just to give that warmer, deader sound. Yeah. I'm in a place for it in music. Totally. Well, I would imagine it helps you as well when you're playing slide. Because are you using a brass slide? I am. No, I, I. It has nothing to do with that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I guess if you have trouble muting, uh, it does kind of cut out some of the ugly frequencies, I suppose. Yeah. I never thought. Of, I never thought about it that way. Um, 
And uh, how much time were you, did you guys kind of spend on on the production stuff, like just getting the tones and and figuring out, you know, because the space is all filled so nicely. It doesn't seem like anything was overdone, and all the tones really kind of complement each other well. Thanks. We, uh, we tend to do it pretty quickly. I mean, there's a lot of pre-production that goes into it. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know what that is, that just means, you know, a month or two before we start recording, we're, we're just back and forth having sessions all the time where I've made demos of all these songs. I've recorded them at home myself. I've just programmed drums, done guitars, sing, just so we have an idea of like a basis of where we, we want it to sound, start like at least. And that just saves a lot of time when we actually get to the studio because we know what and how we want it to sound exactly. Right. So that that's a huge time saver. By the time we get there, you know, we did two days for all the basics, which is bass and drums. Uh, guitar was a few days. We did a bunch of keys, obviously a bunch of vocals. You know, we, we did. I had a bit of a time constraint in the sense that I. It's not like we had just two months open at a studio where we could work. We all live in different cities, so we had to kind of work it around availability, primarily mine. So we were pretty efficient. We we put the work in and we we were also it was like Omicron right in the middle of it. So we we did a bunch of work, got started, ah, and then we had to like pause for about a month because everything kind of shut down again. So I don't know. It took all in all of actual production recording, not including editing, not including you know, the post-production stuff, probably a couple of weeks. Okay. That's wild. I love that. And uh, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit because um, I'm curious about where uh, you're, you're living in Canada now or still, right? Yeah. And uh, what, what, um, like, uh, what's like the major city that, that you're located? I'm just curious because I'm curious about the scenes and like, you know, your experience as a, as a touring artist and now as, you know, your own artist and what it must be like coming up in a place that might not have the kind of industry that like a New York or an L.A. might have, you know? Yeah, I'm in Montreal, which is the second biggest city in Canada. It's very big. Okay. It is also a very French-speaking uh, city. It's in the the most French province of them all in, in Canada. And I don't speak French. And I... To be honest, I'm not really in the scene at all locally. I've produced about four records for artists here, which has been awesome. I love doing that. I have a lot of pals in the industry here, players and outside of that industry folk. Uh, but I I just exist here. I, uh, I'm here. I'm either on the road or I work out of my own studio and do work remotely. So... It's not that I don't want to network. It's just I, I don't really have time because I'm just I'm, I'm pretty deep in my own thing that I'm always working on. But it's an awesome city. It's uh, endless, amazing studios, venues. There's a lot of great players here in bands. Some amazing bands have come out of here. And uh, not just French bands, just like uh, Anglophone bands as well. So it's got a really... Really great scene. I just, I'm not really in it, to be honest. Um, 
I have many friends in certain pockets like Winnipeg, Toronto, Vancouver, uh, L.A., Nashville, New York, Austin. I do have pockets of communities in all those places. And we kind of live in this time now where if what you do is fairly remotely or if you're out, if you're touring a lot, you can kind of be portable. You can kind of be anywhere. Right. Certain cities lend themselves really well to just being in one place. Do you know what I mean? Like being in LA, there's all the, a lot of sessions there. So you, a lot of auditions there. If, you're, if that's what you're trying to do, you're going to be in there and people are going to go, well, he's here, she's here. Let's consider them instead of there's a couple of people in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska that we were considering. You right, know what I mean? right. Um, but again, it's about who you know. It's about your circles and... Um, yeah, it's just it's just all about your connections. Um, this year alone, I've done some touring with friends who have a band from L.A. Scary Pockets. I don't yeah. live there, but I, they're my they're my friends. It's I have community there. I did some touring with Tom Jones, who uh, I was telling you we were in Jacksonville. Uh, that's all England, folks. So it's uh, it really comes down. To your connections, I guess, and your communities and nurturing them. And, and, and it's really about the hang and just having that. Um, and it just so happened to work that it happened at a time where we were a bit quieter because it's about to get crazy in a couple of weeks for me on tour with this new record coming out. So it was just kind of a fun uh, breath of fresh air to, to put on the Sideman hat again. Um, but I hope that kind of answers the question. I kind of went off the, the beaten path there a bit, but no, yeah, totally. I, I mean, I, no, that's, that's what it's all about. Um, I'm yeah, no, totally. The, um, it's, I've always thought about that too, because like being here in Jacksonville, it's not a huge industry city or anything like that, but, uh, there's a cool little scene that, that does kind of flourish at times and at times it doesn't. Um, and just somebody who's you obviously you found a lot of success in in your career and you've been able to do cool things without having to kind of be on the ground at these you know on these in some of these bigger industry cities and just to me it's always interesting how people are able to kind of do that without having to like uproot their lives and and start over again you know and like yeah. how, how do you make those contacts like that oh man i mean we live in this age of the internet where it's never been easier to network. Yeah. So a lot of us have like internet friends who were pals, but we've never actually met. Um, I'm old school. So I think most of my contacts and community and friends have really come from not, not the internet. I mean, maybe we met in some ways, to, but like they've all come from personal in real life experience and hanging and being like, I dig you, you dig me, we're friends. And I like the music you make, let's collaborate. You know, just coming from an organic, real way, I think that's where the substance is. Yeah. And, you know, I've been fortunate to have been touring since I was 20 or 21, traveling a lot. And I've got to meet a lot of people from doing that. That's where you meet people. Um you know, social media and the internet is fantastic and useful, but it's also kind of not real. 
Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, sure, you can get a lot of likes, but it doesn't mean that, you know, you've hung out with anybody and know anybody or, you know, it's all about real, real life value is what I call it. So I think it's, it's primarily from a lot of being at the right place at the right time, getting out there, putting yourself out there and just meeting people. That's what it really comes down to. That's the, those are the things in the relationships that last. You know, just existing as a, as a profile, it's important. It's what we do, but it has to be more than that. Yeah, for sure, man. And the hang is like, is definitely everything I feel like. There's, I've been, you know, I've been able to like, It's everything. Yeah. Like I've, I've made, you know, in a similar way, but on a much smaller scale, I've got like a nice network of people in the Southeast just from having toured myself with my previous band. And, uh, and it feels good to be able to like go to places and just, or even, you know, like I find it comforting just to like call people from other areas and just talk about what not only is going on, but just to like kind of pick their brains about what they're doing and, or just bounce ideas like, Hey, like, how would you handle this situation? Or like, you know, or maybe even like, you know, have you considered this thing? Do you know anybody in your area that could probably, you know, help out in this way? Oh yeah. Just to expand the network, you know? That support network, you got to have it. And like when you're called upon that too, it's important to reciprocate and help people out. And that's, that's what builds community. That's what builds friendship and camaraderie. And you never know when you're going to need it. It's not about building relationships to get something out of it. It's, it's you build relationships to have relationships. Yeah, exactly. And I value friendships. I value relationships. I value those things a lot. And I find them just a very important thing in my life. So to maintain, to to keep relationships in great spots professionally or socially, it's really important. Yeah, man. Uh, and that's something I've been coming to a realization about a lot lately and especially in the the, the personal realm and stuff. And I'm curious because like, you said that you were married. How do you juggle... <laughs> this lifestyle and also maintain like, you know, a family life, um, and be there for everybody that you need to be there for. Yeah. It's been a learning experience. Touring <laughs> is a definitely a single person's game. No question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have been fortunate to do like shit touring, rough touring, and I've done some pretty like kind of high end touring where it's very comfortable. And at the end of the day, it, it kind of feels the same. It's just that, like, I think your your tank empties a lot slower when it's comfortable. Right. And it, and it empties quite fast. Um, like a four-cylinder <laughs> when it's <laughs> shitty touring. Right. <laughs> and in my, my, in my life, in my experience, you know, uh, as a sideman, you're not really in control. People go... We're going on tour February, March, and then May, June, and then three months and whatever. Do you want the gig or not? We'll, we'll give it to someone else if you don't want it. Oh, yeah, I'll take it. And then you realize, oh, geez, it's, it, you know, it can get hard. Yeah. And yeah, in a relationship, I've struggled, definitely. But now that I'm in control, like I'm my own boss. So I get to choose the schedule. I, I schedule everything in ways where um, there's balance and moderation. And I think that's the most important thing in touring 
And it's about making it work for you. Everyone's a little different. I know what I need. I need to have balance of home life and road life. And for my mental health and everything, that's what works for me. Some people just need to hit it all the time. They're road dogs. Great. I love traveling and I love being on the road. I love experiencing experiencing places and things and seeing people and meeting people. Absolutely love all of it. Um, but it needs to be contained doses and so that it's never too much to a point where I, I start going feral, so to speak. So <laughs> I, it, needs, it needs to be that balance. And so that's what I've tried to really strive for. And that's kind of where it's at. And, you know, like, it really helps when you're with whoever you're in a relationship with that you're both very independent. If you're touring and the person you got at home doesn't have much going on or is just not independent and they lean on you really hard, especially when you're not there and it makes just everything so much worse. I've seen that happen for people. It can be really tough. And I get it. You're with someone and, and if you're not there, what kind of relationship is that? So I'm fortunate that, you know, I mean, we're, we're very independent and uh, I'm fortunate that I'm able to kind of be in control to a degree of uh, moderation with scheduling. Yeah. I, and then like when you are present, like being, making sure that you're fully present because now it's yeah. time to wear that hat and that kind of thing too. Oh yeah. You know? Um, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm curious about this too, because now that you're kind of, uh, it's fat, the, this dynamic of like going from the side guy to the band leader is, is it's a familiar one for me. And I'm just curious how other people handle it as well. Um, being on the road and touring as a side guy versus your own kind of thing. Um, what are some things that you take? Let me phrase it this way. Have you taken experiences from as a side guy and brought them to your uh, role as a band leader? And then furthermore, do you have a different expectation of people that you bring out on the road with you based on your experience as a side guy? Yes to everything. Yeah. <laughs> I I learned everything that I know from being on the road as a side guy. Um, so that starts with, uh, and, and like, and you know how you said like, uh, maybe you didn't say it, but I didn't start being a solo artist till I was thirty, and thirty thirty one. And for most people, that's kind of late in the game. But I wouldn't have been ready. I needed that experience. I needed though that decade or more of touring hard, seeing how the industry works, seeing how the touring industry works, seeing like etiquette of uh, advancing shows, settling up, doing merch, talking to an audience, being professional, this, that, traveling. Uh, I learned everything from just experience. So when I'm in charge, you know, I, I just, because I come from that, history of being on the other end the hired gun for my band or for anyone that or my crew that's coming with me i want to make them feel uh, as taken care of as possible and just make it as good for them as possible because yeah they're out there you know we are a band but it's my band it's my music at the end of the day right and i want to do whatever i can to make sure they're taken care of and to make sure that they're enjoying themselves um 
And and that's really the it's like that's even more important than um, the playing and the, the the part on stage. Like that has to be good, obviously, and it is. Um, but just the the communication and the the where everyone's at kind of thing is super important. So my expectation for everyone, like you asked, is just to be communicative and like you know if anything's bothering anyone to just communicate, let me know or vice versa and just you know touring is hard like we said traveling is weird and hard as healthy as we can keep it and make it and make everybody happy and keep everyone just good morale um that's what it's all about yeah man and do you have any like like what what's your because like you know if the communication doesn't happen and like the people aren't happy then it makes the show bad so it's like like people go up there you're tired you haven't eaten anything or you've been eating shit and whatever, like you're rushing to, you know, you you just drove overnight from this place to this place and there's no time for the hotel, whatever it might be, you know, there's like all kinds of crazy scenarios that can make for a less than optimal show scenario. So like to make sure that everybody's taken care of, um, is super important to make sure the show goes off without a hitch. I feel like the most important. And sometimes for some people that are struggling, the part on stage is the only place that they connect or like the only place that they get along. That's <laughs> so true, man. It's you know, you so think true. of like the, is it like the Eagles or yeah, some of those bands that like or the police, I feel like they all just hate each other, but on stage <laughs> they get up and it's absolute magic and they go, all right, this is great. And then the second they're off stage, they're all going their separate ways. <laughs> right. That sounds horrible. I would never want to experience that, you know? Right. Right, man. I can't even imagine though, like the, for 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 the longevity of those bands and all the shit that they've put up with from each other, especially starting at such a young age and finding that kind of success so young, like the backstabbing and all the wrong moves that were made early on. Kind of learning as they go, yeah. Yeah, that must have been. Yeah, that's just the that's just the opposite of you know. All I wanted, like when who I tour with, is like family too, you know, and right. The stage is the part is the hour and a half thing that we do for free. And the rest of the day is the work part. And it's really just important. Like we just have fun and laugh all day. And I'm very fortunate that I have a group of guys that we're just, you know, we take everything that we do seriously. We don't take ourselves seriously. We can just have fun most of the time. And I like to think that comes off when we are on stage too. Uh, it's just different for everyone and you just got to find what works for you and your people and your crew and just listen and like be aware of everyone and everything. And just, you know, as important as it is to like run a business that is a band or whatever, uh, got, got to make sure you're checking up on the people as well. Always. Yeah. Without them, there's, there's really nothing. Totally, man. Well, and, uh, how much of the um well really more actually when you talk about like a comfortable touring situation um you know versus being out or being out for three months with somebody versus you know the way that you find healthy touring to work um what does that what does like an optimal touring schedule look like for you are you building in you know, are you doing like weekend runs in different regions or is it better for you to just hit it for a month straight and knock it all out? Like what, what do you think works for you best? Uh, what works for me is actually shorter runs. So 
quality over quantity. Uh, rather than going out for a month, I'd rather cut that up into two or three if possible. Right. And, you know, go do the thing, maybe a day or two less for days off, hit it. You know, where, where I am right now, and I was never on the road just to party, really. I was always just, it was, it was a job. I was going on the road to play, to work. Um, now that, you know, I got to be able to sing, I got to be able to play, I got to be able to engage with the crowd. Sometimes there's other appearances you got to do. I'm out there to work. Like touring now is a very, is just, is professional, you know? So I want to kind of just get in, get out, get in, get out, and then do that a bunch of times. Um, down the road, that might change where it makes sense to do. Like sometimes you have to do longer runs, and that's fine. We're going to Europe in a couple of weeks. That just has to be longer, or else it's not really feasible. Right. Uh, and that's fine. But what works for me, yeah, I think what also works for everybody is just it's it's less is more, but it's more quality over quantity. And we we are still doing the same amount of touring as if it was pretty heavy and nonstop we're just breaking it up it's, it's like if like if it was a big piece of glass touring for the year we're just like taking cracks at it and breaking off pieces and still and just putting them in order so instead of all at once we're just doing them in in like increments that works for me better yeah i would imagine so and it kind of helps you i think nurture the relationships that you have back home um you can you know take a couple days but also like a couple days <laughs> Uh, you know, off when you're on the road is like in a hotel or like, you know, maybe you're doing some sightseeing. It's not really like days off. We get no. to go home and like really just kind of unwind and be there for, you know, at least two or three days. It just, it makes a big difference. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and day, too many days off can be really hard. It's like, this is fun and we're, we got a day off in Manhattan or a day off in Jacksonville. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but at, at, at once it becomes too many days off, it's like, I'd rather just be at home than just like have another day in some hotel, not doing anything. I'd imagine I like to go out there and I like to work. Yeah. You need rest, especially when you sing. It's important to take a couple of days off here and there. You have to, at least I have to, I'm not a powerhouse singer. Um, I just need the break. Um, yeah, it's important. Yeah, totally. And I, I I would imagine like, you know, not to get too inside baseball here, I guess, but days off in the road do kind of eat in to the budgets when you're talking about food and hotels and like, you know, whatever other expenses versus like just being home for a few days. I would imagine anyways, I've had, I've been on the road with band leaders before that kind of share that with us where it's like, we've got three days off and this is really a you know, be, uh, kind of like a problem. So let's say rather than being out here for three days, we'll go home and then we'll, you know, pick up where we left off, whatever. And that's obviously you guys are much more planned out than that, I'm sure. But, um, you know, yeah. yeah, we try to avoid anything like that happening. I think two, I think one, a day off is the perfect amount. Two days off, it kind of becomes like, uh, what are we doing out here? Yeah. You know what I mean? It becomes too much. I just get antsy. And yeah. I love to play. I love to perform and be on stage. I'm not going on tour to hop on a scooter and uh, zip around a random city. I'm out here to, to be on stage. Right. That's really what I want to do. So, 
within reason, you got to recover, rest the voice, whatever, um, outside of that. And, you know, sometimes travel days can be just brutal. You need the day. Absolutely. Got a long drive or you got to fly across this country. Who knows? Yeah. Just within reason, you do the best you can to make it make sense logistically and hope for the best. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, so this album, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's written, it's recorded, it's coming out, you're going to do the tour and then you come back and then the reality sets in where it's like, what's next? So I, I know that you're not, obviously, I'm sure you're not there yet, but I'm curious, but you've been through this process before. So I'm curious what that anxiety feels like when you know it's time to start hitting the next thing. What, like, what do you, how do you manage with that? Well, what I've learned in this business, you have to live eight or nine months ahead. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just figure it out. Oh, you can't like month to month. Like, you know, the way we work, we're already planning already into next year and throughout already. So like I have a very clear idea of what is happening and things change. But, you know, you make kind of an outline and, and goals and a plan just so you never get into that situation. And, you know, this album has been done for, uh, I don't know, half a year or more. Like it's been, it's been ready sitting on the shelf, ready, just going, release me. Yeah. And that's just how it goes. You got to take time. You got to make a plan, make a strategy, build a campaign. You can't just be like, uh, I guess I'll just, I guess I'll just put out this first song on Friday and then maybe we'll just put it out in, a month will that be okay yeah <laughs> sure maybe no one is going to listen to it though because there's no there's no build-up you have to just plan and you need to give yourself that time whether it's touring writing new music recording other projects just like you gotta gotta live eight months in advance yeah for sure man um and uh, how how involved are you on that stuff? Like with the uh, the marketing strat, I'm, I find it so fascinating because it's such a under uh, just something that's not paid enough attention to. I feel like by a lot of artists. So I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm very involved. In, in fact, anything creatively, posts, content, that's all me. I don't. It's not that I don't listen to anybody's advice. I do. And I have a great team that offers a lot of great advice and suggestions, which a lot of times I've taken their advice. But I know what's worked with my audience. I know what lands to a degree. Sometimes it doesn't. But I know how I want to engage and I want to put myself out there. And if it's not directly coming from me, if it's not my idea. Just, you know, I don't think it's going to seem sincere or genuine. So it's really important for me that it it is a very honest representation in the marketing and promotion and content, whatever. And it's fun. I like worrying about that stuff. I don't like worrying about other stuff, logistics and other stuff like that. You know, it all, it all feels fun. I like, uh, coming up with stuff. Yeah. Like well, it's, it's, it must help. I'm you, I mean, having representation to kind of take care of, uh, you know, the booking and, you know, the day-to-day -day managing stuff. And then, um, you know, having a publicist that can kind of, uh, you know, 
just having representation to, to handle all the things that don't allow you to be creative so that you can just focus on being creative. I'm still working on that. And I'm, I'm grateful for the team that I have. I, I still feel like there's days where I'm burning the candle at either end and I'm burning out faster. In fact, I'm just burning up and I'm not even doing anything creative, you know, not even making music. I'm just sending emails or doing, you know, just doing bullshit. Yeah. That has to be done. That's important stuff. But it, it, yeah, it runs the tank out a lot faster than just thinking about, hey, how about a cool transition for these two songs in the show, you know? Yeah, man, that's that's what always fascinates me about guys like you that are operating at, and you know, a lot of your peers are operating at this level where there's so much that you still can't really outsource yet. So there's still things that you kind of have to handle yourself. So like there's the 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 creative concepts and the marketing stuff and you know figuring out how do you get this stuff out there um and it's just the fact that you can you know write and practice and think about the internet and social media and content and timelining things the fact that you can do all that um so effectively is just it's a uh, it's it's impressive and it makes me feel like shit so <laughs> <laughs> hey well thanks yeah. not that i'm trying to make anyone feel like shit but it's just what comes natural i've always been savvy to posting stuff i i started posting videos on youtube in 2006 really when no when no one was on youtube i started posting picture videos of my band remember my trio we yeah. posted videos and then i started posting videos of me just playing random things and then honestly 10 years after that 2016 everyone and their dog started playing guitar on instagram all the time right and i felt like everyone's finally catching up now this is just how it is just if you can't if you're not going to put yourself out there and promote yourself with what you do no one's going to do it for you right and yeah now it's you know there's a lot it's kind of sensory overload now and almost like content paralysis, but no one else is going to do it for you. You got to put yourself out there. No one else gives a fuck. It's just all on you. Yeah. You know, totally, man. Totally. Well, um, Ariel, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, man. Thank you so much. I know that you're busy, so I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and just give us, giving us some insight into everything. It means a lot. Oh, it's great, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Good luck with Hopefully the new... we'll see you guys in Jacksonville again soon. Well, not again. We didn't didn't see you last time, but <laughs> well, next time I'm there, we'll hook up. Absolutely, man. Yeah, we'll be uh, on the lookout for your schedule and, um, you know, we'll uh, post everything with all the all the links there. Um, just so people know, where where can they find you and all your stuff at? Uh, uh, Arielposen.com or at Arielposen on every social media thing. <laughs> cool. Hell yeah, man. Well, we're excited for you. Good luck with everything, and we'll see you soon, man. All right. Thank All right. you. Take yeah. care. Yep. Yeah. Peace.